So this is a letter from her mum <laughs> to her son. The other day, I went up to our local Christian bookstore and saw a Honk If You Love Jesus bumper sticker. I was feeling particularly upbeat that day because I'd just come from a thrilling worship celebration followed by a thunderous prayer meeting. So I bought the sticker and put it on my bumper. Boy, I'm glad I did. What an uplifting experience followed. (laughs) I was stopped at a red light at a busy intersection, just lost in thought about the Lord and how good he is. And I didn't notice that the light had changed. It's a good thing someone else loved Jesus, because if he hadn't honked, I'd never have noticed. I found that lots of people love Jesus. Why? While I was sitting there, the guy behind started honking like crazy. And then he leaned out of his window and screamed, For the love of God! Go, 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 go! What an exuberant cheerleader he was for Jesus. Every, everyone, everyone started honking. I just leaned out of my window and started waving and smiling at all those lovely, loving people. I even honked my horn a few times to share in the love. There must have been a man from Florida back there because I heard him yelling something about a sunny beach. <laughs> Obviously wanted to get there. I saw another guy waving in a funny way with, his, with only his middle finger in the air. Then I asked my teenage grandson in the back seat what it meant. He said it was probably an Hawaiian good luck sign. (laughs) Or something. Well, I've never met anyone from Hawaii, so I leaned out of the window and gave him the good luck sign back. (laughs) My grandson burst out laughing. (laughs) Why, even he was enjoying his religious experience. A couple of the people were so caught up in the joy of the moment that they got out of their cars and started walking towards me. I bet they wanted to pray or ask what church I had attended. This is when I noticed the light had changed. So I waved and smiled at all my brothers and sisters and drove on through the intersection. I noticed I was the only car that got through the intersection. Before the light changed again. And I felt kind of sad that I had to leave them after all the love we'd shared. So I slowed the car down, leaned out of the window, and gave them all the Hawaiian good luck sign as I drove away. (laughs) Praise the Lord for such wonderful folks. We'll write again soon. (laughs) So, that all goes to show... That we need wisdom. (laughs) That was my tentative link into this morning's subject. So do you want to find the book of Proverbs? Which is kind of in the middle of the Bible, if you're not familiar with that. Just right of Psalms and left of Isaiah. Now Brian is going to try and keep up with um, some of the verses we're going to look at this morning. So... When he hears me start talking about them, he's going to flash them up, aren't you, Brian? That's the plan. Okay. Um, So what is wisdom? 
Uh, I was only about half an hour from actually leaving home uh, with my bumper sticker in my car um, and uh, thinking suddenly I haven't actually defined what wisdom is. I guess I assumed everybody knew what wisdom is. Everybody know what wisdom is? Let's have a few definitions. Wisdom, what is wisdom? Uh, Practical. You'll have to shout out, I can't. The fear of the Lord. That's a good one. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Any others? Knowing what to do. do. That's a good one. Discernment. Discernment. Excellent word. My my wife. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) As I love to point out, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 8, wisdom is personified as a woman. But so is folly. (laughs) Both sides are the same coin. Good luck, yes. I arranged for Carol not to be here this morning. Actually, we all need to love wisdom. That's what the book of Proverbs tells us to do. It's something we should love. Actually, it's, it's something we should seek for with all our heart, isn't it? One of the nicest definitions I've heard, and all the things you just said are are right, but it's also the art of success. There's a good one, isn't it? It's not just that we need to sort things out. It's not just that we need to make things better, but actually we can succeed in life. We can succeed in marriage. We can succeed in our families. We can succeed in our jobs. And actually we all need wisdom in all of those areas of our life. In fact, there's not really an area of life that we have where you don't need wisdom, is there? So do you just want to ask God now for wisdom? Because I bet in this room there are literally hundreds and hundreds of situations, some of which you are facing even as I speak, certainly this afternoon, probably this evening, and indeed the rest of the week and in fact the rest of your life. But I'm thinking, why don't you just think of a situation where you just need wisdom. Lord, I need insight. I need how to sort this out. There is something going on in that situation that I just can't kind of master or it's just gone beyond me or I'm just afraid, you know, of that situation. So you may want to close your eyes, lift your hands, lie on the floor. We give all those options now. And... uh, I just want to pray over you that you'll receive wisdom and you'll receive it right now. God will just drop into your hearts, into your minds, the wisdom that you need. Maybe you've got a huge project coming up of some sort. It's, it's big to you. It's big to you. And God just want to say, wants to say, he's writing success. He's writing his art of success, his wisdom over that situation right now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Yeah, Father, we just say now, direct everything we do. Just drop that wisdom into our hearts and minds now. Could be that God's giving you a word. An answer, a solution. Holy Spirit, just do all that you want to do. 
<laughs> so actually, this started um, as a talk about royalty. I wanted to keep asking that question, which you may well have got bored of by now, but I hope you don't, because it's good being royal, isn't it? Right? It's not just for last week's sermon, it's actually for every day. But what does it mean to be royal? What is royalty? And you find, can we get Revelation up, uh, Brian? You find that actually wisdom is part of the King of Kings, isn't it? Part of Jesus, if you like, is wisdom. In fact, it says Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 2. And when he's celebrated in uh, the, you know, some of the things that are in the well, words in which you know used to worship him in Revelation, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. All wisdom comes from God. God has all the ideas. Right? God, not just Silicon Valley in California, but God has all the ideas. He has all the wisdom. He has all the inventions. He has all the knowledge. And He wants to give it to us. So actually when we worship Jesus, we kind of can offer Him wisdom because He is wisdom. We can offer Him praise, you know, through that. It's in His nature. All wisdom. I mean, He cooked up the idea of this world. He cooked up the idea of you. He put you together in the wonderful way that you've been formed, that all of us have been formed. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't we? It says in Proverbs 8 that wisdom was there. This is one of those personifications where wisdom is presented, you know, as, as a woman. Wisdom was there at the foundation of the world. In fact, there's, there's so much, you know, personal language about wisdom in those chapters that some people have even thought that they are direct reference to Jesus and they may well be theologians seem to be you know the the judges out as it were the court the judges out the jury's out on that one theologically but you have this wonderful portrayal that wisdom is actually a person which kind of puts an interesting light on on it doesn't it that you're actually when you're asking for wisdom you're asking a person for wisdom it's a very personal thing, wisdom. It's not just answers. It's actually coming from a person. Proverbs eight fifteen and 16 says, By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles all who rule on earth. Okay, God is giving wisdom all the time to our rulers and to our kings, our queens, our prime ministers, our, our presidents. As royal people, as a royal priesthood, as people who are called to rule and reign in this world, you have royal wisdom at your disposal. So you can pull it down at any time, can't you? Because you're princes and princesses in the court of the king and that wisdom is available to you at any time. So how do we get it? Well, in Proverbs 4... Seven and nine. How are we doing, Brian? Oh, yeah, we got it. How do we get wisdom? Well, it's very simple, really. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. (laughs) I completely missed this verse, I think, in my reading of Proverbs in the past. I thought, 
Did it actually say that? I thought the beginning of wisdom was the fear of the Lord. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But the beginning of wisdom is this. Get it. In other words, realize you need it. You know, the fool is right in his own eyes. You know, but wise people seek wisdom. Wise people. And the beginning of, you know, wisdom is just simply, I need it. So go and get it. It's almost like it's, well, it is. It's on tap. If you're born again, if you're a son and daughter of the king, if you're a prince and princess in his kingdom, it's your inheritance. It's available to you at any time. But it's kind of strange how we forget that, isn't it? Get wisdom, because this is what it does. Though it costs you all you have. Just think about that for a moment. Though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her. And she will honor you. Right? You're falling in love with wisdom. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. It's a royal attribute, isn't it? As you know, you have, you have it, but you're also receiving it. And present you with a glorious crown. But Proverbs uh, 6.10 also says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord. Now, this is a bit like David's, uh, David's talk. You know, David, so many Davids, like David Carter's talk, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is a concept that's got uh, maybe a little bit lost, isn't it? Because we're, we're taught not to fear God. Is that right? And yet the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Is there any fear in love? Well, one John tells us there is no fear in love. God loves us with an everlasting love. God's not angry with us, is he? His wrath has been taken by Jesus on the cross once and for all. And that finished work means that we are totally and utterly loved by God. How does fear ever get in there? Okay, yep. Fear can be manifest in all sorts of ways, isn't it? And actually, I think it's a term that we almost need to get get used to again and, and feel comfortable with. But how do you do that? It's become, what dare I say, a fearful word. <laughs> how do you live in the love of God and still live in the fear of God? Well, as somebody was kind of indicating over there, we really need to redefine what the word fear means, don't we, in our own thinking. It's clearly not being, uh, it's not not being afraid of God, sorry, it's not being afraid of God. There is no fear in God. We don't need to be afraid of God. Even when we sin, we don't need to be afraid of God. We just need to confess that sin and come back to him and renew that love he has for us. But what do you make, you know, it's, in our church, I don't go around hearing lots of people saying, you know, the fear of God, that's really come home to me recently. It's a, I have a personal testimony about the fear of God. And yet the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Well, if it's not being afraid, what does it mean? Well, Peter, actually, in his epistle, he talks about living with a reverent fear. Because fear can actually mean just living in the awe and respect, the reverent fear 
of God. So it's that awe aspect, that's that fearful aspect, isn't it? But even, uh, sorry, that, that, that awesome aspect of God that, that needs to be part of how we relate to him. I think the problem is, though, that, that, that concepts like that are, sound quite passive, don't they? Even the fear of God. We kind of back off from, even, even if we're ready to kind of embrace it. But I wonder if we can get used to the idea that all, all the fear of God really means, I say all it means, or part of what it means, is that we always reference God in everything. We reference him because he loves us, but we reference him because he's, he is awesome, isn't he? He is the person to go to. He is awesome in all his wisdom and all his might and all his power and all his wealth. He is our first recourse. And I think if we could get hold of that as in, in that concept of the fear of God, then we have started to tap into his wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because I go straight to him. Where else would I go to? Who else has the answers? He has knowledge of absolutely everything. He created absolutely everything. You know, the world wasn't discovered by 20th century scientists. Thank you. Should we be alarmed with that, or is that just a... Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Time's up, I need to finish. You know, time's up, we only just started. Right. So what I'm contending for, really, is just that... Well, when you think of that phrase, it's almost trying to redeem a phrase for us. When you think of that phrase, the fear of God, let's not be afraid of using it, but let's just remember that that is not making us kind of back off from God, actually far from it. The fear of God is that I want God's answer. I want God's presence. It's him that will sort this situation out for me. He's always, always my first course. What else would he be? Because of his awesomeness and his greatness, and because I stand in awe in his presence, how else could I really understand? If it's not being afraid of him, then it's really actually the opposite. It's me rushing into his presence. Because I don't want to live a moment of my life without him. I don't want to try and find solutions that are not his solutions. I don't want to puzzle over things knowing that actually God has the answers and God just wants to pour in his Holy Spirit to help me out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That verse is followed by this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Which is what you were referring to just earlier, wasn't it? Proverbs 8 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me. Right? With riches, uh, with me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. It's a good thing to be wise, isn't it? Riches, honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Do you want to be wise? You don't sound very enthusiastic. Just all thinking about it. <laughs> okay. Turn with me then to James 1 verse 5. I'm sure this is one of Pete's favorite verses because he's always quoting it, which is good. James 1 verse 5. 
just to underline what we're saying. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Number one lesson about wisdom, if you haven't got already, it's just simply to ask, isn't it? Because he is a generous God. Who do you ask? Well, God, of course. Okay. Um, Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't think we have this as a slide, Brian, so... uh... You hear the rustle of Bibles and iPads and telephones. Isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, t- chapter two and verse 10 says, halfway through the verse, verse 10, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within, in, in, sorry, within him? In the same way, no one who knows the thoughts of God in the, same, in the same way, no one who knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. In, let me read this properly. In the same way, no one knows, thank you, the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Obviously, the Holy Spirit wants me to read that three times. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Where is the Holy Spirit? Inside us, isn't it? You are carrying around with you, dare I say, the, the Holy Spirit. I was going to say Wikipedia, but that's not, I never find Wikipedia particularly reliable. But, uh, you know, you, you have an absolute ocean of knowledge carried around with you. Because you have the Holy Spirit who searches the thoughts of God, who knows everything. As we get more and more used to prophesying, as we get more and more used to having words of knowledge, we suddenly realize that is true, isn't it? Not only do we know it's true, but actually the Holy Spirit loves to communicate to each one of us very, very specific things about the people around us. So we've got, we're getting increasingly used to speaking Things we don't know into people's lives that are true because the Holy Spirit has revealed them to us. That's the wisdom of God, isn't it? So if you are kind of thinking, well, you know, can I prophesy or how much can I prophesy? Can I have words of knowledge that are really accurate? Well, you have the Holy Spirit who's really accurate. You have the Holy Spirit who wants to talk to you all the time. Must be quite frustrating to be the Holy Spirit. In a perfect, in a perfect God, you can't have frustration, can you? But, you know, because he wants to communicate so much through you. He's just kind of waiting for you to ask him in any given situation. And he gets shared around because he's infinite. He gets shared. He has enough of himself to go around. Is that right? And on, in addition to all that, he's written a book all about himself and he loves to bring his book into those situations so that you get the answers to your questions and you actually communicate to other people his wisdom and there is no 
distinction between moving in the Holy Spirit, or very little distinction, shall I say, in moving in the Holy Spirit and reading God's Word, because all Scripture is inspired. Who inspired it? The Holy Spirit. He's written it perfectly for you to be able to inform your life, and therefore it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God might be perfectly equipped for every good work. How many good works can you pack in today? I'm not suggesting, sorry, that's a terrible phrase, isn't it? I'm not suggesting that you're going to be driven to do good works. But who knows how many, I mean, going down to have coffee in a moment, well, a few moments, is an opportunity to do good, isn't it? And I'm not just referring to buying coffee so that, you know, Dean uh, makes a profit, uh, which we want him to make a, to do, but... Um, you have an opportunity to do all sorts of good things because the Holy Spirit is there and he's just waiting to kind of work through you. Who's your favorite animal? Go on, just shout out a few favorite animals. Lion, cat, snow leopard, seal, monkeys, guinea pigs. You know who God's favorite animal is? It's not one that readily comes to mind. Well, if he had a favorite animal. He made them all, so they must all be his favorites. There's one animal who the Bible describes as exceedingly wise. Doesn't trip off our tongue, doesn't it? Doesn't come readily to mind. But the next time there's an ant's nest out your front in your, in your garden or somewhere, just have a look at it because the Bible tells you to. Right? We'll love to follow what the Bible says, but the Bible tells you to look at the ants. Go to the, uh, so Proverbs 6 verse 6, we got that, Brian? Oh yeah, there you go. Go to the ant, you slug, and consider his ways and be wise. He has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. We used to uh, get our kids to learn this one, and they've all grown up working very hard. <laughs> That's the power of God's word, isn't it? Uh, had to explain what a sluggard was, because um, it's not a very common word, but just somebody who's lazy. Go to the ant, you're sluggard. Uh, and actually, that's for the most part, that's how we saw it. We actually went to a county show once, and um, they had an ant nest on display. It was one of those, those African, those big ants, you know. And they were literally, you could see branches. There was little ants nests and they were, you know, all trooping out of that, going along this branch and, you know, chewing up bits of leaves. And then you saw these tiny little ants with this huge bit of leaf, you know, going along a branch, uh, back to its nest. Uh, and you saw that all, all in action. And, and, and we got all the kids around and we were looking at this ant. And, and lo and behold, somebody actually put that Bible verse on the front, it was all in a glass, you know, container. They actually put this Bible verse, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider his ways and be wise. And the ant is wise for a number of reasons that we can learn a lot from. He does store up things, you know, uh, for in, in summer and gathers food at harvest. He's wise. He looks ahead. He plans. But actually, if you ever looked at a group of ants, they also work together really well, don't they? How do they do that? 
I've no idea. I'm not sure that science has found out why yet. Maybe they are. You can enlighten me. But the thing I want particularly to bring to your attention is that bit in the middle. He has no commander, no overseer or ruler. And yet he does all those things. Now, if the ant is exceedingly wise, and he is, and if the Bible takes in two occasions, both in chapter 6 and later in chapter 30, in fact, he commends three other animals, but we haven't got time for those at the moment, none of which you mentioned. But um, you can look at those, lizards, hydraxes, and there's another one I can't remember. Um, but he commends the ant again there. Why is the ant so wise? He plans, he looks ahead, yes, but... He has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet he does those things. The ant is wise because he's self-motivated. He doesn't need a commander. He doesn't need an overseer. He doesn't need a ruler. He just gets on and does the job. He has a tremendous sense of... Self-responsibility or self-control and responsibility. So if the ant is wise and the ant just gets on, you know, you can be trusted. He can go and do something. And, he, and the other, I guess the other ants know he'll do it. Or the queen ant. Is there a queen ant? Any biologists amongst us? Does the ants nest have a queen? See Joe nodding in the back. Yeah. Yeah, the... They're not rushing around making sure everything happens, but because, you know, the ants are out there and they're doing it all. So wisdom is really important for us because it's, oh, sorry, the wisdom of the ant is really important for us because it has a message about how we operate, how you and I operate. Are you the kind of person who just takes responsibility? Are you the kind of person who just gets on with a job when you're asked to do it? Can you be trusted? That's true wisdom, isn't it? And you sort of think, well, what's that? I mean, I can see some general applications in that. But let me just take one application to our church life. So David and I were in the uh, evening school on, on Wednesday, and a lady asked one of those kind of maybe slightly awkward questions. She said, in this freedom that you have, where people are prophesying all over the place, you know, what happens if somebody comes up and prophesies over me some really kind of wacky thing that's just totally out of, you know, my expect? I just think it's wrong. Am I, and, and she didn't say this, did she? But the kind of implication was, am I perhaps ruined for life? And I'm sort of thinking, oh dear, you know, we've let all these people come into our evening school. And you're absolutely right. There's prophecy going on all over, over the place. I have... You know, if I know 1% of what's going on, I'm probably lucky, you know, and uh, I'm one of the elders here. I'm supposed to know what's going on. I'm supposed to be in charge. I'm supposed to be a commander, a ruler, an overseer. See where this is going? Now, David very wisely gave a very good answer, which was something like this. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, David, wasn't it? Well, you have responsibility in this freedom atmosphere. You have a, re- a responsibility to weigh those prophecies that come your way. If you're as wise as an ant, you don't need a commander, you don't need a ruler, you don't need an overseer, because actually you actually you have the Holy Spirit in you. I think that was part of your answer, David, wasn't it? I was just grabbing your limelight here. You have the Holy Spirit who actually has all wisdom and access into the very throne room of God, in fact, in, even into the deeper things of God that we know nothing about.
So you can call on the Holy Spirit and ask him. Now, what we weren't saying to that, 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 uh, that question was, it doesn't mean you can't ask other people. In fact, the book of Proverbs encourages you to walk with the wise and to find wise people. And wise people will help you. So, and ants actually do work together. But first and foremost, we need to be confident that we have God's wisdom inside us. We have this kind of wisdom that doesn't require us always to be checking out with people who may be in authority, not over us, of course, but, you know, towards us. Um, But that would be often our recourse. And the fear, I think, that was reflected in that lady's question was, well, what happens? Well, what happens if you get a duff prophecy? Well, what happens is you weigh it and you realize it's duff. And you don't believe it. Now, of course, alongside that, if it's, a, if it's a big, if it goes out, you know, stretches you beyond where you are, you may want to just sit down and consider that and weigh it and put it in the back drawer, as it were. You know, and just keep it going until, as time goes by, God begins to work it out in your life. Sometimes prophecy is like that. Often we want prophecy to be like instant, you know, it's happening now. But it could be for the future. And that's another way of approaching it. It's ever so interesting in, uh, in the people of God, you know, in the Old Testament, clearly you had prophets, you had priests, but you also had wise men. And any, and, and I think there were some women, but you know, you know what kind of society it was, so I'm not ruling out women today at all. In the culture that we are generating in uh, Eastgate, we certainly need prophets. We certainly need a priesthood of all believers. But we need wise people, don't we? And I'm not sort of, you know, we're not about to see me afterwards and put your name down. We're going to create a group of wisdom people. <laughs> oh, the wisdom ministry team, they'll look after you. <laughs> right? Not intended to do that. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit and you have all the wisdom that's available that you need at any given time. And you have other hugely wise people around you. They're sitting next to you already. You don't need to find them. They're not in the eldership. Well, they are, some of them, you know, hopefully. (laughs) Or your ministry team leader. You have a very wise person sitting right next to you right now. So what do we do with wisdom? Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Do you just want to close your eyes for a moment? Done this sort of exercise before. But just imagine that crown sitting on a silk cushion in front of you. That's your wisdom crown. And you can place it on your head at any time. Again, think of those situations that you were thinking of earlier. And just place wisdom, even if you don't know what God's quite saying, say, Lord, I know you have the wisdom for that situation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him just to speak into that relationship. 
into that job situation. I just want to read one more verse, and it's not a slide, Brian, so uh, don't worry about this one. This in chapter 1, verse 20 of Proverbs. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. And in the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Wisdom is for the street, isn't it? There's almost a sense of a town crier here, crying out wisdom. And... Sure, we'll use wisdom within the church, but wisdom is for out there. Wisdom is for where you are every day. Wisdom is for the street corner, the factory, the office, the school, the college. Wisdom is crying out. And wisdom will cry out through you and equip you to bring the kingdom wherever you go. Amen? Amen.